Greg, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Happy to be here. Really. Um, I have to let everybody know that I've known Greg for, it's been over 10 years easily. Because you opened the club and I remember now because mm -hmm. you were going to join. You wanted to get on the committee at the temporary club and you came to me then. You said, love, mm -hmm. how do I get on the committee? And I said, young one, if you come to me and come into my room, I'll show you how to get on. I guarantee you. Right. Right? And he listened to a few things I said, and I said, <laughs> <laughs> I never planned on getting involved until I spoke to you. Yeah, and I said, man, you'd be good, because I like what you were saying. I said, mm -hmm. and you proved to do, be just that. You're yeah. on again. Yeah. Thank you for being here, Greg. Greg, let's start off with, where were you born? I was born in Connecticut, outside New Haven. Okay. In 1974. Small town. Right. Lived in a small town. Well, uh, do, you, do you have siblings? Do you have brothers and sisters? I have an older brother who lives in Colorado. He's five years older. It's just the two of you. Mm -hmm. So you, let me ask you this. Did your father and mother stay together all the way through? Mm -hmm. They did? Mm -hmm. Your father's still doing well? No, my father passed away just before COVID really kicked off. Yes, because I got a chance to meet him. You did meet him, that's I right. I sure did. I met him yeah. at, I tell you, Rainbow Cafe, I'll never mm -hmm. forget. Yeah. Because you talked to me about him prior to that. And yeah. to get to meet him, I thought it was quite an honor. Yeah. I said, your son's really an interesting guy. So. Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't have his funeral until this past summer, so we because, because of COVID. COVID mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. So uh, yeah, I, I spoke at the funeral. It was hard. It was harder than I than I thought it was going to be. A lot of things came mm -hmm. rushing forward. We weren't we weren't as close as, as we'd been before, and uh, it was it was it was it was hard. Mm -hmm. It's tough to talk about. I can imagine. Yeah. Is, you said you have an older brother. How yeah. many years difference? Five. Then you guys aren't close. Mm -hmm. See, five years, my brother and I are five years apart. Mm -hmm. See, and I'm usually pretty right on this. Yeah. Unless the parents foster it, or because of some religious mm -hmm. organization you belong to that fosters it, once the kids are past around three, three years out of each other, it's difficult for them to be close because they don't share the same friends, mm -hmm. same interests. And if parents allow them to be what we usually are, it's not going to work out right. doesn't happen. Someone's going to be tormented and hate the other one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that happened. That definitely happened. I wound up just saying a bunch of stuff to him without realizing what I was saying. To your who? To my brother. So I'll give you a perfect example. We were driving one time. My brother was my brother was talking to my dad. My dad was in the Marines. Now, how old were you in this? I would have been young. I would have been maybe six or seven. Okay. And my dad had been in the Marines, but... Uh, he got he he got kicked out of the Marines because basically he he lied to get in. He was blind in one eye, but he wanted to be in the Marines. So when he took his test to be in the Marines, he had to cover his his eye to take the eye test. So the doctor said, "Cover your cover your eye to take the test." And my dad covers his eye, reads the chart. The guy goes, "Okay, now switch eyes." So my dad takes a piece of paper, switches hands, but covers the same eye. You've got to be kidding! Mm -hmm. And so he got in. But then when he got down to Paris Island. They're on the they're on the rifle range, and so they're shooting, and you have to be able to shoot with with each eye apparently. So he tried the same trick with the drill sergeant. <laughs> didn't work. Didn't, didn't work. Didn't work. So he, he was there long enough to do a bunch of sit ups with telephone poles on his chest in Paris Island. He's there for six weeks. He still had his marine chest. But anyways, my brother was always, I think, trying to trying to live up to that that sort of ideal of being in the Marines and in, in doing that sort of stuff. So. Anyways, we were in the car one time, and my brother starts telling my dad that he's going to join some, some military academy. And he's talking, he's like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And he would have been 12 years old at the time. And I'm just starting to read signs and, and, and 
so I look at the world around me and start to understand things. And I said, I said, oh, military academy. He goes, yeah. And I said, like, like what one? Like the Salvation Army? But like, I didn't know it. I just, I just saw a Salvation Army. So I figured the Salvation Army was like a medical team right. that would go and help people. Right, right. My dad laughed so hard he almost drove off the road. My brother was so angry at me. So he, if, if it were an actual joke that I understood, That's right. it would have been mean. But I didn't know right. what was going on. So I did that. I did stuff like that all the time. He just happened to be the... The 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 the, 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 the yeah the yeah but I didn't know I had no idea I had no idea what the Salvation Army was I just saw the signs around. <laughs> Does he know now? Did you ever explain that to him later? He probably doesn't even remember it. He really probably doesn't remember it. We yeah. he and I of just course, didn't. It's called selective memory. You know, mm. we, we all do it. Mm. The things that affect us the most. I was talking to my ninety-four-year-old mother this morning, mm-hmm. and I was telling her what she told me when I told her I was going to come back to Japan, and she said, "You know, I won't remember that. Mm. That was important to you." Right. And I said, I know, but I still want to tell you. Yeah. And I told him about it. And I had an instance with my brother who's five years older than me. Mm. He said some things to me that hurt so bad and he didn't understand why. Yeah. And I told him later and he went, What? Yeah. I said, yeah. He, did he, he did just, he remember saying it or did he He remembered what he said too. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing. Mm. What, what were you like as a little kid when you were growing up? Were you more academic or were you more um, physical? Uh, I played a lot of sports. <laughs> played a lot of sports. I I like there are certain classes that I like if I liked the class I did well. If I liked the teacher in the class I did well. Okay, give me an example. In elementary school. Uh, elementary school. So spelling. I used spelling all the time because I loved words and I loved reading and I loved spelling. So I won spelling bees and I was fine. But where did that come from? Your mother, or father? I don't know. I I, I assume no, they, it came from my mom from. because my mom was uh my mom was a teacher, okay. and she was uh. She's a special ed teacher, but she did a lot of reading stuff with kids. So I assume it came from her, but I'm not really sure. I read a ton. But where's your mom now? My she mom is uh, in between Florida and Connecticut. Okay. So she's, she's doing okay? She's still working. Yeah, she's okay. All right, because she's, she's going to okay. see this, and she's going to say, what? Right. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> what maybe. Yeah. What are you talking about? Of course it came from she me. She knows it. Okay, you're going on skipping. What do you think about it? Do you think I put you up and gave you to somebody else? Well, she would, I think she, it was interesting because I, my, my grammar is, is, is pretty decent, especially in mm-hmm. writing or speaking, but my mom never, she never taught me, but she would, she would correct me. So if you, she never sat me down and told me these are the rules of grammar. So instead when we were speaking, she would just say, well, that's not the correct way of saying it. So over time, eventually... I had I had good grammar, but it wasn't. You, know, you asked me to do those those sentence trees and break things. Right, I can't yeah, do one. Do I have no idea. I have no idea how to do it. Right. No, I've never known how to do it. <laughs> never learned. So <laughs> I you failed. decided to take pride in the yeah, exactly. I failed that on the test, but my grammar was fine. My teacher was like, "How can you not do this? I'm not interested. I, I don't know how to. I, I don't mean, need that. I can't do an adjective <laughs> or yeah, conjunction. I know what an adjective is, right, but yeah. I can't put it on the tree. I hear, I hear. Let me ask. What about your brother? How was he? Was he was more academic. He was more academic, and that was one of the reasons why I don't think we got along so well. My my dad was my dad was a high school football state champion. My dad was in the Marines, and we had all this stuff going on. I think there's a little bit of there's a little bit of possibly resentment because I was I was I was good at sports, came naturally to me. My brother was more came naturally for him to do school stuff. Did you end up being taller, shorter? Um, I was probably a bit taller, a okay. bit taller. When but, did that happen? Um. I passed him when I was in high school. Okay, you knew? Did you always know that you were going to be taller than him? No, I didn't. But I, I didn't. I didn't care either. Didn't I didn't care whether I was taller or shorter. I just. Did you guys basically always stay physically? I mean, he was stronger than you for a long time. He was. When did that change? Uh, so when I was so I played college soccer, 
And um, so I was lifting weights, and it was, it was Division One. I. I was on the bench, but it was still a Division One program. What grade is this? This was, so it was university, so when I was a freshman. He, so you mean up until then? I never, I never really, I never really did anything. I mean, he was always he moved to California sometime at some point when I was in high school. So he went there to go to law school or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So we didn't, we didn't really see each other. So I kind of grew into myself after he left. And when I was growing up, he, you know, he'd beat me up and you know, not horrendously, but we'd have these pillow fights. Pretty sure I had a concussion or two from the <laughs> pillow fights. Winters were torturous. I'd get I'd get snowballs, ice balls in my face, snowed on my back. He promised he wasn't going to do it again. Then I'd get one as soon as I came outside. I saw that poor kid in the you know snow down my back. Had to go inside crying. It's terrible. So I went. We went back to visit my parents at Christmas one time. And there's snow on the ground, and he started kind of messing with me. And I had just come out of season, and I was lifting weights. You know, I was I was strong. I was strong, and I was I was I would have been I would have been nineteen, okay. nineteen at that point, um, and I was strong, and he was he was doing some training to do some stuff. He thought he was going to go into the military, and he's trying. So he's kind of messing with me. I said, "Listen, don't don't do that, right? Don't 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 do it. It's not. I'm not interested." And he kept doing it, kept pushing, kept pushing. And finally, I, 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 I snapped a little bit, and I did a little bit of a judo move on him. And I put him over my leg, put my knee in his back, and my elbow in the, into, his, into the back of his neck. And I said, I told you to stop. I told you to stop. That felt good, didn't I it? wasn't playing. I don't want you to do that anymore. I looked up, and my parents were laughing hysterically from the window because they'd never seen me do this to him. And at that point, in some ways, it had to be done. But in other ways, like our relationship was permanently different after that. that. Mm-hmm. Because he knew. He knew. He knew that was it. That was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting but sad, but at the same time, it's like... you can always mint it. You still have time. How old is... What did your father do? What did your father Mm -hmm. do? What kind of work was he doing? My dad was... uh, He was always sort of in middle management. Mm -hmm. Um, When he retired, he retired from a division of Hartford Hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he wound up working in healthcare a lot because a lot of the industry left Connecticut where I grew up. So he wound up working in some... Um, some healthcare facilities, mm-hmm. managing offices. Did you stay in the same place all week growing up? Mm-hmm. And never moved. I moved when I was three months old, and then that was the house that I stayed in until oh. mm-hmm, until I left. My goodness! Mm-hmm. So, do you ever go back and see that house? We went back last summer to see it. Looks basically the same. Okay, the same yeah. Didn't go inside. I didn't. Do, I didn't run, knock on the door and ask if I could see my old room. I just right, right. we stayed outside and saw it. it. Looked all right. It's a little weird seeing it. Yeah, yeah. So, are you close with your mom? Pretty close. Yeah. We're pretty close. As close as you can be when you're 7,500 miles away. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we, saw her, we saw her last summer a good bit. Um, yeah, we stay, we stay in touch by phone mostly. FaceTime's helpful. Okay. So tell me, okay, now you've finished. You got into sports. You were really active that way. What did you start thinking you were going to do with your life once you got into high school? Because now you have to start deciding. You're going mm. to go to college. Mm. If you go to college, you start thinking basically... What kind of career do I want to have? What are my true interests? Yeah. What, what was happening for you then? So I grew up in a really small town. Um, How small? So, so at the time, 7,500, 8,000 people. Small. And it, was, it wasn't just that it was a, a small number, a, a low population. It was, it's pretty rural. Big town. I mean, it's one of the biggest towns in Connecticut, but really not many people. I think my mom always says we had one stoplight in town, which was true. We had one stoplight. Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, when I look back on it and I look at what everyone's done from there, most, most people stay within a pretty tight radius 
of the of the area that they grew up in there. So when I look at myself, it's sort of I'm pretty far off the pretty far off the, the map. Yeah. So at the time, I didn't I didn't really have anyone to look at who was who was doing something that different. Most people would go to local universities, become teachers, nurses, whatever it was. It's perfectly fine. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to sort of get out of that area. And I, but I had no idea. I said, if I just get out of this area, it'll change my perspective, and then I'll figure out what it is I'm going to do. So my focus at the time for college was just to get out of Connecticut. I didn't apply to one school in Connecticut. I needed to, I needed some distance, and I needed to figure out what I was going to do. And I couldn't do that while I was still in that area. So what'd you do? Where'd you go? So I went to American in D.C., okay. which was far enough for my parents to drive to, but not close enough where they could visit every day. Right. So they would visit a couple times a year, a few times a year. Okay. So what'd you do? So when you went in there, would you start? What were some of the aha moments for you? You come to D.C., mm-hmm. you finally got out of your rural area, mm-hmm. you start seeing people that actually have been other places. Yeah. What, what was it like? For you? It was hard. Uh, it was hard. I was. I, it was. It was difficult because I, I was coming from a small town, relatively small-minded, and I was just focused on getting there. And so once I that was that was that was the only goal. So. When I got there, I had a lot of I had a lot of learning to do. I had a lot of growing up to do. Okay, well, give me some of the things you remember that some of the things that, that stay in my mind um, that you can talk about. Right? There, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. No drama. This this podcast is a no no drama podcast. Um, yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Some things that I remember specifically. I think for me, I, I was so focused on getting out. I wasn't I wasn't very good at having having relationships had you ever had any I, I, I had I had some friends and I had I had some girlfriends and you know obviously my family but it always felt it always felt like I knew those were temporary because I knew I wanted to leave and I knew I wanted to get out of, of that area not that it's bad it's just for me it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted I didn't want to be within that within that sort of circle or bubble I wanted I wanted to get out and then I wanted to get some perspective and if I'd gone back it would have been fine but I wanted to get out first to take a to right. take a deep breath and look at it and be like okay if I'm going to go there I'm going to do it as a conscious decision so the problem for me was I wasn't great at having relationships so, whether with friends or girlfriends it just wasn't I, it wasn't something I was focused on so when I got to school started to act a little bit in the same way and some of my friends were like listen why would you do that we're friends. Got you. We're I friends. Mean, like we've got you. You can't do that if you want to be friends. Right. No. Give me an example of something you may have done. Uh, so one of my one of my good friends. Um, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I would have maybe I would have made fun of him or something in front of a girl that he liked. I see. Right. Okay. Okay. Just joking, but I went too far, and he said, "Listen, we're friends." He goes, "You can't can't treat me that way." So I learned, I learned really uh, from being friends with him about about how to be genuine. And I, I hadn't, I hadn't really, I hadn't really done that before. I was kind of, a sort of defensive and, and had defenses up the whole time. And I was like, oh, like I can trust that guy, and he trusts me. But then he has expectations of me, and I can have expectations of him. And if we trust each other, do things the right way, we'll be good friends. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's and right. I've learned that, and, and, and I and I've tried to stick with that. So I, so even today, I'm, I'm in touch with him, and I've got the friend, the people I'm friends with. I can call them. I haven't seen them in twenty years, but when I call them, it's exactly the same. Because you learn that—that's mm-hmm. that's something you learn. Yeah. And that's you know something that's really hard, Greg, because your emotional makeup is done from birth up to age twelve. Mm-hmm. 
It wasn't, wor- it wasn't working that for me. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. But unless something traumatic happens, mm-hmm. well, it not you know it won't mm-hmm. change. Yeah. So that was something for you yeah. to have that happen. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Yeah. So okay, so then I'm trying to get to where I want to go is how mm-hmm. you came here, but what led up to that? All these other things that you were doing prior to that. Right. So there's, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. I came home from I came home from college once, and I heard my voice on their answering machine. If you remember answering machines. <laughs> I left a message for my parents and I heard it and I was thinking, God, like, I sound terrible. I have this, I have this, I have this strange, this strange accent that doesn't really make any sense. So there's a, there's definitely a sort of, I'm mostly Italian American. There's definitely a New England Italian American accent, ways you pronounce words. And, and I heard myself talking, I was like, that really, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like the people I'm, I'm with down in DC. Like I, this isn't, this isn't working. I don't like how this sounds. Now you're 20 by now? I would have been 19. Still 19. Still 19. So I made a conscious effort to change how I speak. So now when I speak to people... Don't tell me that. Don't tell me if I heard it. You have one of those high voices like this. A little bit. A little nasally. Little not not so not a little bit high a little bit high a little bit nasally. And you purposely decided to bring it down. I said that's it. So that's it. I'm not I'm not speaking like that anymore. The way I pronounced words, I just I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Didn't like it. Greg, you're the first person for me to hear that from because when I was in the Air Force, mm-hmm. when I was going through this training with this investment company, I decided that maybe I should be speaking like this. Mm-hmm. And I started talking like this around the barracks. These kids rode me so loud. <laughs> <laughs> I said, man, we will beat you halfway mm-hmm. to death if you don't stop. Right. I said, but this is a little bit better. And I said, I'll get my point across. Mm-hmm. I think I'll make a little bit more of an impact right. if I speak like this. They said, no, man, we're going to kick you out. I said, okay. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Knock it off. <laughs> but had I had mm-hmm. on my, if it had been on my own, if I had been in college or something, mm-hmm. I would have been able to get away with it. Right. I would have been deeper than you. Yeah. Be, I just, and uh, it does make a difference. It does make a difference. It, it does. Makes it, a it makes difference. a huge difference. And it's not that it's a bad accent. It's not that the people no, who use no, it. No. It's just, for me, the way I wanted to present myself and the way I wanted to come across, it wasn't, it wasn't lining up with that. With that Isn't accent, that interesting. Mm-hmm. yeah. So now I meet people even in the U.S. and they they, they think I'm Australian, and I can't figure out how. It doesn't no, make I'm, any sense to me. Yeah, it could but be that big beard. No, it could be. <laughs> and that big knife pocket knife could you have. Could be. Yeah. And the crocodile behind you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that does it every time. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, okay, so you're you finally decide to start changing the way that you spoke. Mm-hmm. What about school and academics? I mean, what were you doing then? Did yeah. you have any part-time jobs while you were there? Uh, I worked in the summers. I was a lifeguard. And well, was, where did that come from? Is that one of the sports that you're really good at? No, I was terrible at swimming. I swam <laughs> just enough to pass the test. <laughs> I could pass the test. I could get. I was good at. I was good at actually finding stuff in the bottom of lakes and pools. <laughs> I could hold my breath and go down. Okay, okay, I wasn't okay. scared and all that stuff. But right. Boy Scouts, I did the. I did the life-saving stuff, and then I got the life-saving requirements done, and I became a lifeguard. It's good money. Right. It was good money. I just had to sit there. Okay. Right. And that was fine. Right. That was it. Was it was easy. So I'd work in the summers. I did some stuff in college, but usually it was just in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were that? What were the academic things that you were starting to find were interesting? You know, making you more interested than other stuff. Uh, so academics. My my academics weren't so hot my first my first year or so. I didn't do I didn't do terribly, but I didn't do that well. And I was trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. So I'm thinking I need to do better and I need to figure out what it is I'm going to do. And I was trying to get all my general requirements done and out of the way. And I started taking some law classes and the law classes were interesting. 
So if, if, at, at American, where I went, I mean, pre-law was a big thing. So, the, you know, a lot of people call it justice. We had justice. We had a couple of iterations of like a pre-law major. And I took one of them and I started studying a lot of case law and reading, doing a lot of reading, a lot of, a lot of logic, a lot of arguments, a lot of, a lot of going through problems and taking sides. And I found that to be really interesting. Once that, once that happened, it lined up really well with all of the reading I had done and being able to write and being able to be persuasive and write persuasive arguments. That was, that became really interesting for me. I forgot, what kind of books did you like anyway? Because you were pervasive reader when you were young what mm -hmm. kind of books were you doing comic books or were you just really no I was reading a lot I read uh, I would read all, a lot of the classics um, I started with the with the with the uh, the abridged versions and then one of my teachers said like you're smart enough to read the real one I said I don't, I don't know what's the real one what does that mean I don't know is there a different one than this so then I started finding the actual the actual books so reading Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer Journey to the Center of the Earth, um, the usual sort of adventure, adventure mm -hmm. stories, stuff that stuff that boys like, typically yeah. would like at that time. Right. Old right. Yeller or the Red right. Fern right. Grows, those right. things. Yeah. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, so when you got into college and you started to find your path a little bit, did you get in? Did you get involved with the debate team? Mm -mm. No. Why didn't you do that? Because that seems like it would have been right up your alley. It, it would have been. I was I was playing soccer and I was I got I got pretty pretty busy with it. Because um, wait, your soccer, but soccer was just becoming popular in the U.S. I was th wait, wait, wait. How far are we apart? Soccer was pretty popular. College sports wise, it was pretty. It was just before MLS started. Okay, okay. And uh, right. so for soccer, for us, it was it was year round. I and mean, we had the fall season, but prior to that, you had to train, or else you couldn't. Could if you didn't pass the test, you couldn't play. Right. Then in the spring, you had the spring season, and then you got back to summer where you're doing your own training. So it was pretty busy. Um, debate team. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do too much in terms of um, in terms of club stuff at, at university. I'd go to a lot of events, though. So at American, the good thing about going to school in a, in a city, you've got access to all these things that you don't have elsewhere. So we had things like um, I met all sorts of people in all sorts of presentations. A friend of mine um, got really involved with something called the Kennedy Political Union at American, and they arranged for all these speakers to come in. Um, different senators. So I, I was at Bill Clinton's inauguration once. I mean, I you know I sat right next to Lowell Weicker once. I saw uh, one of the Supreme Court justices at the hospital. I mean, you just you run into these people, um, and you wind up meeting a lot of them, and it's strange. Uh, one of my friends ran something called the Black Student Alliance at American. And was that the first time you ever had a black friend mm -hmm. in college? Oh, uh, college. No, I mean I knew we we had guys. There there, there are all sorts of folks around. Um, wait, wait, you mean in Connecticut? In Connecticut, yeah. Wait, 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 but they lived the. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Even then, mm -hmm. you guys weren't mixed together. No, I mean my town, no, but yeah, so I'm saying. So, so, so this town, so, so this is the interesting <laughs> thing, though. Be, sports sports has always been the great equalizer, in but my the, it opinion. wasn't soccer then, was it? it was so football. I played a lot of basketball. Oh, you're playing basketball. I played. I didn't play football. I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. Okay. And I loved basketball so much that I would play anywhere. I didn't care where it was. I didn't care who it was with. I had. I didn't care how dangerous it might be. I had. I couldn't care less. So I played. I played a lot at the YMCA in a small city next to us. I played in parks. Um, quite frankly, surprised my dad that I was there by myself playing. And that you made it home. What's that? And I made, yeah. He saw my truck in a in a certain playground one right, time, right, right, right. and he said, "Where were you today?" 
And I said, I was over in Sonia playing basketball. How old were you then? I was 17, 16. 17? Mm -hmm. okay. But I played. I played. So I didn't care. I just wanted to play. But were the guys good with you? I mean, did you? Because you at first, at first, at first, it was it was awkward. They couldn't figure out why, you why I was there. Because it, it wasn't so much, wasn't so much race. Not many white guys there. But it wasn't so much race. It was that they didn't know me and they couldn't figure out why I was showing up there. Because I didn't go to their high school. Okay. But so I would. But I would just play. And from an early age, you know, you, I learned to you know keep my mouth shut and do what I wanted to do. And not cause any problems, and and usually things work out okay. So when I got to DC, it was pretty similar. I played I played a lot in, in parks there too, um, but it was it was good. It was good. It keeps you keeps you level headed. Keeps you focused. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. That is very interesting. Yeah. So in, in high school basketball, was, but they couldn't was, tell. But when the, but but you didn't have, did you have any hair on your face yet? Not then. Okay, nothing. Short hair. Okay. Didn't. No, didn't stand out. Short hair, played basketball, played defense. Right, right. Shot. But they might have thought that you were Italian. They would have thought. They probably would have assumed you? that. You're we Italian, had a lot of Italians yeah. there. Right, I would think so. Um, so I didn't call fouls. You didn't do never, anything. You never called foul. No, smart okay. Move. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they called fouls. I was like, okay, you're right. I got you. <laughs> Here's the ball. Here's the ball. Let's That's play. right. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't care. It was fine. You and probably so, saw a couple of people that did call fouls, mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. was the last time they called a foul. Mm -hmm. But then I would see those guys around, like in summer league, and then during the during the regular season, we play each other, and so they'd remember me, and so then it was you know I get the nods and the and the winks, and you know, right, that, yeah, then it was that's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. that's good. So it was. It's always been an equalizer. I mean, I spent a lot of time in South Carolina too. Is that right? And so I mean, all the the horrible stuff that happened in South Carolina, where the guy shot the the people in the church. South Carolina was the, I mean, it was the center of the slave trade in the U.S. for years. That's where, that's where people came in. They came into Charleston. Mm -hmm. And so when you, look at, when you look at that, you would think there should be some, there should be some, there probably is, but there's not a ton of animosity that you see on the surface. And you'd think there would be. But I think one thing that saved South Carolina is the fact that they love college football so much that they don't care. They couldn't care, they less. Could care less. You could be an was, alien. That's been playing if you score team, 10, 15 you're touchdowns, you're good to go. <laughs> exactly. good to go. it's perfectly that's fine. Right, right. And it's and it's it's been that's it's interesting. it's way more helpful than people realize. The sports, right? mm -hmm. because you you get so used to it not caring. Together, right? Yeah, you get so used to not caring in football. All of a sudden, when people are looking for jobs or out in the street, it's like, oh well, it's fine. We're used so we're nice. used to not caring, so right. it's fine. But if you don't have that. If you don't have that, I think it becomes problematic. And That's Connecticut had some of it, not a lot of it. That's nice. That's interesting. Yeah. So get back into college. So mm -hmm. now you start to hone what you're going to do, and what did, what was that that you decided you wanted to do? Yeah. So I went to I, I went to um, I went to Spain for my, my half of my junior year. Based on what? Uh, I wanted again. It was sort of like uh, it was similar to when I left Connecticut. I was saying, okay, I'm really comfortable. This is great. Having this great time. I've got all these friends. This is this is excellent, but it. I started to feel too comfortable. Started to feel too easy, and I was thinking, this isn't. In a year and a half, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be trying to get a job, and this. If I'm not careful, it's going to sneak up on me, and all of a sudden, I'm not going to be prepared for anything. So if I don't, if I don't change this up myself, someone else is going to change it on me or for me, and it's not going to be. It's not that the, the result isn't going to be in, in my control. You were thinking that mm -hmm. deep about Yeah, it. it felt way too comfortable. It felt way too easy. And I knew it would end. I knew it would all end. 
I knew that I, my friends would all go off and do whatever they're going to do. And I'm going to be stuck here like, thinking, like, what just happened? Yeah, what happened? Mm. So I went to Spain and I, and I just, to see, just to see what it was like. Uh, I, st- I studied Spanish for a long time. And um, I, figured I, would, I figured I would go over and expose myself to more stuff that was going on so outside was it, of D.C. So what was it like learning real Castilian Spanish in Spain? Uh, it was hard. The real deal. I showed, up, <laughs> I showed up and I lived with three Spanish sisters. And I lived right in the middle of the city. And it was great. I had, at first, it was, it was overwhelming. I mean, you speak Spanish in class. You know, it's, it's one thing. Right. You know everybody speaks English. But you, when, you're, when you're there and no one speaks English and all of a sudden you're in a restaurant... And you're starting starting to think, is that the right word to use? Is is this guy listening to my accent? Like, how bad do I look? Is he gonna understand me? Are they laughing at me? It's hard. It's hard. And I was I was twenty when I did that. How long did you stay there? Six months. Oh, six months. Six months. Only six months. Yeah. But you were going to school too. I was going to school. So I was in. I was, the semester was, I think, ten weeks, twelve weeks, whatever it was, mm-hmm. eleven weeks, and um, so I was in school full time. So it was a, it was a, it was an overseas program. So we were all in your class classes were in English, in Spanish, all in Spanish. Everything was in Spanish. So how did it work? I, I, my Spanish was my Spanish was good. What also yeah, helped okay. is I had a I had a Spanish girlfriend who didn't speak any, who didn't speak any English. Okay, and so then it, I mean, talk about feeling vulnerable and exposed, trying to have a conversation, a meaningful conversation with someone, mm-hmm. where you want to get the right point across. Right, and you're starting to think I. I really don't know if I if I'm saying this correctly, right, right? Right, right. And that was every day. So you go to sleep feeling like you just feel worn out because you're trying to figure out that you know the whole day you're trying to you're trying to think in a different a different language and it's tough. And all the nuances mm-hmm. and stuff that are there too. Yeah. You can make a gesture that could be completely off. Completely. I'm wrong. sure you did. Yeah. I'm probably I'm, I'm sure I did. Yeah. 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 So it was it was good. Okay. It was good. So you come back to DC. Then what? After your six months in Spain? Yeah. So, uh, well, I did a little bit more. I did a bunch of traveling on my own. I left Spain and I went down to Israel and I was in Egypt. and Alone? Went, yeah. And I was in Morocco and Germany and Italy and I did that for a while, which was tough. That was, that was, uh, that was hard. Well, how was it hard? In what way? Mm, I was 21 and I, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was cool. I was like, oh, I came from D.C. and I just spent a semester in Madrid. Like, I got this. This is easy. Mm-mm. What happened? You know, you wind up, you know, I, my first stop was in Israel. So before I started this, before I started my, the trip and um, landed in Tel Aviv. And Tel Aviv can be, can be a little bit, can be a little bit dangerous, right? So I landed at the airport midnight, 1230. And a guy came up to me and started speaking me to in a language. I had no idea what language he was speaking. And I didn't know where he was from. It's very difficult to tell the difference sometimes between in that area of, of who's from where. Right, right. Especially when you're not when you haven't been there a lot. And so he started getting a little bit aggressive with me. And I'm just off the plane, right? Then he grabs my arm. And I'm thinking I'm gonna have to fight my way out of the airport. I have no idea what's going on. I'm trying to find a place to sleep. I've never been here before. I don't know anybody. And this guy's grabbing my arm. So of course, like and he grabs my arm and he takes out a badge and he goes, I'm Israeli secret police, come with me. I'm thinking, well, I have no idea. He says this in English. In English. Up until that point, it was either it was either Hebrew or Arabic. I'm not sure which right, one it right. was. All of a sudden he switches to fluent English, has my arm, has a gun and a badge, and tells me I have to go with him. I had no idea what was going on, right? So I go into this interrogation room with him, 
he starts asking me why I'm in Israel and who I know there and what I'm doing there and where I'm going to go and why did I come? Did you have a backpack or something? I had a backpack. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I mean, I had a University of Connecticut hat on. I mean, I looked as I looked about as dangerous as a fly. That's, that's I mean, I just problem. didn't. I think that was a problem. I didn't look dangerous. I looked perfectly. I looked like a college kid that's that was come. The best thing, yeah. And then, and so he's asking me those questions, very stern. I, I had no idea how long I was going to be there for. And then his face goes from 100% serious to, oh, that's great. Okay, have a good trip. Um, taxis are over there. And that was that. And I left the room and I'm thinking, I have no idea, I have no idea what just happened. Why would you pick mm. me to do that? Right? And so the, a, a few things happened that way. I mean, I had a few, I had a few run-ins with um, kids trying to steal my wallet and and stuff like that. And you know, you're, you're a long way away. And I was in a place I had no idea about. And then I took a bus over to, um, took a nine hour bus ride from Sinai over to Cairo. And it was, it was about as local of a bus as you can get. I mean, you're no windows, um, you get to the border and then, and the Egyptian military comes on with M 16s and there's a border tax you have to pay. And you've got your passport, and you're, you're literally in the middle of nowhere. It's a desert, miles, hours. Just, right. Anything could happen. Right. Nothing did happen, but it, it wasn't it wasn't super comfortable. Then you know they get to Cairo. Cairo's this huge city, and with all all the stuff that's going on there. And I think one of the weirder things was at one point there was um, I mean there's mosques around, of course, but then um, certain things that you hear, and then people start people start bowing and so you're in Muslim countries and, and so you do the same you just I just it was, it was yeah yeah it was uh, it was interesting so you know again I mean I was 21 and going around and I thought I was I thought I was cool I was like I can do this, this is easy I've been every I've been I've been to Spain can, yeah once, once I've been on the course some black guys I can do anything <laughs> and that's I made not, it but that's that. not it's not I true do that. and so but, I mean, my, but that's kind yeah, of I'm sure that yeah. built up your ego quite a bit you're thinking because all your buddies couldn't do it yeah and you said I got this yeah Nothing's gonna be harder than being on that court with you guys. You <laughs> right. gotta be <laughs> Right. It was that it was changed our whole perspective. Yeah. It's really real out there. Yeah. It is. They will take listen, I remember these two reporters, they were um on the um border of Israel and Palestine and they had one cameraman and the other two were in front and the sharpshooters just took the cameraman out. Mm. It was at night. Yeah. Do, he just had his camera. They saw something glare and took it. And that right was out. that. And that was that. Mm-hmm. They said they just killed our camera. Like, yeah. And they were scared and they laid down in the grass till it got light. The next day they got up. It was at night. They just took them out. Mm-hmm. Nobody. They don't know who. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have been there. Yeah. And that's what could happen. You're out in the middle of nowhere. So that's why. I mean, when I was, I was, I was thinking I was going to go to law school, and after I came back to D.C., I'm going around. I'm thinking there's. Seven billion, six billion people, I guess, at the time. Six billion people on the planet. There's got to be something else out there besides going to law school. Like all my friends, my brother, all going to law. We're going to go to law school. We're going to go to law school. I'm thinking. Is your brother a lawyer? Now? Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, there's got to be. There's got to be something else I can do. Something's being neglected. If everybody's going to law school, which is what it felt like, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something else. And I was going around, and I'm seeing these shopkeepers in different places, and. People doing different things, and, and I'm thinking, there's, there's other stuff I can do. I don't want to do that. So, I guess when I came back, I knew, I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. And my brother's roommate had gone in the jet program, and he goes, "Oh, you can teach English in Japan, and blah blah, and pays you this, and they fly you over business class." And um, so I was like, "Okay, maybe that's good." 
So I applied for it, but it took me a year. It took me a year to get in because the the timing is you apply in November and they let you and they fly you. Were you already July. out of college now? I was already out of college. So what so were you I, doing while you were out of college? I was coaching a girls' soccer team, and Okey I was dokey. and I was yeah <laughs> yeah, and I was uh, I was traveling around the U.S. a bit. I went to. Um, I went to Mardi Gras. Went down Were you living, still living with your parents? Living with my parents okay. in Connecticut. Okay. Right. That was okay. tough. I can imagine. That was tough. Out of college and dad's looking at you and saying, wait just a minute. Mm-hmm. I just paid all this money and you're going to sit That's here. That's right. You're going to sit here? You're going to be a substitute teacher. That's my and coach, investment? And coach a soccer girl, right. girl's soccer team. <laughs> and just because you're big, you think that's enough? You think that's enough? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So then I left for Japan in uh, July of 97. And you're 22 now? I was 23. Just turned 23. 23, mm-hmm. okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, okay, so you come over here. And again, it was the same thing. year was this? 97. 97. It was the exact same thing of why I left D.C. and why it's like, I don't know anything about Asia. Let me just, let me go there and see what it's like. I don't know. I'd, everyone's like, oh, you must, you must have really been interested in Japan. I had no idea about Japan. I had no idea. You never thought about it? Mm-hmm. Not until... No Asian friends? No. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, we had, we had tons of international students in America. Let me see, but you had no Asian friends not, that you not, remember. That you not really, right. no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't know anything about it. I'll go there. And I think that helped me in the interview. I think they're like, you don't know anything about Japan? I'm like, well, I know. We, obviously, we had World War II. I know you, I know you guys like sushi. <laughs> and so they liked it. They're like, oh, okay, well, if you do this, you'll probably become interested in Japan. And now here I am, 26, 27 years later, whatever you it never, is. You never went back after you came? Mm-hmm. I was in Korea for three years, but I never went back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. What, 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 tell me, what, what do you think caused you not to go back to the U.S. to get a job, to look forward? I mean, because I'm sure you had the opportunity to, and you knew that there was always a possibility. Are Um, you thinking to go back? No, I'm not thinking to go back. Um, There were times when I considered it. I considered going back for business school, and I I considered working there. It just felt like, and it's, I don't, I don't want to make it sound terrible. If I did that, it felt like it was, it was going to be ordinary. And I didn't like I didn't like that feeling. I didn't want it to be ordinary. I wanted to do interesting stuff. I wanted to be in places and not that I wanted people to ask why I was there, but I wanted to be living a life where people kind of scratch their heads and like, why would you ever do that? You you feel like you can I still, do that? Yeah, I do. That's good. I do. Mm. You know, people have two ways they can live their lives. Mm. They can live the length of their life. Or they can live the or live the width of their life, mm. and when you live the width of your life, those are the stories that you tell. Yeah, through the width. And there's three types of people in the world: those that make things happen, mm-hmm. those that watch things happen, and those that wonder what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't want to be yeah, sitting around your friends leaving, wondering what happened. Yeah, but it would have. The thing is, it would. That's so right. when I meet my friends though in in the U.S. and I talk about stuff like this, I have to be careful because I don't want to make it sound like I'm looking down on them. It's difficult to do that. It's very difficult to do I could have stayed there and had a, could have had a great life. I could have done And you still whatever. can. Don't yeah. forget. They I still see. can. I could get a dog and live here and get a sailboat, do whatever I want. It's just not, it's not what I want to do. But it doesn't mean that if other people want to do it, it's wrong or it's bad. It's just that's that right. pe- people choose what they want. That's right. So how did you get involved with Herman Miller since that's where I know you from the most? Right. And um, matter of fact, that's when I met you. You were dealing with Herman Miller. Yeah. So... Um, I'd been dating a girl who, who worked there, and there were a couple of positions that were opening up. So I was working in, in shipping services. And the services were fine, but I wanted to get more experience with manufacturing, shipping, things like that. I wanted to sell products instead of services. 
And so a, a position opened up and I uh, put my put my name in and I wound up getting hired in 2002. And then, sorry, 2001. And then in 2002, I was covering Korea. So in, and in 2002, I convinced my boss to let me move to Korea for That's how you went an, unspec an unspecified amount of time. Working for Herman Miller. Yeah. Were you the were you the head of the branch there yeah. in Korea? We didn't. Yeah. Well, we didn't, I, I know what you yeah. mean. Okay. Yeah, I was there. Right. I was facilitating I marketing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had an outsourced manufacturer there too, though. So mm -hmm. our 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 sales really took off, mm -hmm. which I'd like to take credit for. Either way, it coincided with my living there. So. That's good. Mm -hmm. So where are you at today? So I have a, I started a business in 2008 that does projects for Herman Miller. So we've sold, we do all of the, you know, people say here that I sell furniture. They think it's like a, a little store on Megadodori where I sell one or two chairs at a time. We do, it's a specialized, it's a niche, it's a niche sort of uh, company. We do, we do the, the spec, the specification work. So figuring out how workstations and desks all fit together. It's like a big puzzle. Mm -hmm. So we have to have specialized trained designers that that work with the software to figure all that stuff out. We do the project management specification. We do the entire, basically the whole project management of furniture projects. So if a company moves into a building and you they move in and you open the windows and turn the building on its side, all that stuff that falls out of the building is something that we would sell. But you've got to figure out how it fits within that space to accommodate that number of people and achieve what it is they want to achieve with the products that, that you sell. Yeah. What's the name of your company? Gregory Lion Inc. Gregory Lion Inc. Mm -hmm. You've changed it then. Mm -hmm. It's always, That's been, always that. been that. That's always been that. Didn't you sell a company recently? Recently? Uh, so no, I haven't. I haven't sold it. Okay, I've, I thought um, you did. Okay. No, I've got a. I I don't spend as much time in that in that in the office as I used to. I've promoted someone to be to be managing that's director. What you, okay, yeah. that's what you mentioned. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I I think the hard part for a, for a for a small company in Japan especially is most people want to work for big companies. And so finding a way to 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 keep and to find and retain talent is hard. So if you don't have something meaningful for people to work toward, they're going to leave. Mm -hmm. And I don't I would I don't blame them. Right. So what are we going to do next year? Well, we're going to increase the target. Okay, why are we increasing the target? Because we need to sell more. Why do we need to sell more? I don't know. Because I want more money? Because, you know, I'll give you a bigger bonus. But that's not really... No, yeah. The money's not really enough. So to give people more ownership and more authority and more abilities to do things and more say in how things happen can be really motivating. Mm -hmm. And so I've got a managing director now. And if things go well, it could easily be the owner of that business itself. I was going to say, mm -hmm. most companies, in order to keep someone, you have to start giving them shares in yep. what they're doing. Because mm -hmm. people respond to that. Yeah, they do. The bigger companies have always done that. Right. You know, to retain somebody. So you start getting stock options or yep. whatever it may be, even if they're lawyers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. become a partner and they mm -hmm. own part of the firm. Mm -hmm. So that's... That but, I mean, the good thing is it's all me. So it's... That's right. You know, it's... it's I don't have a... I don't have a board I have to report yeah. to. I don't have to ask anybody's permission. After being on boards, then mm -hmm. you understand how much of a um, challenge that becomes mm -hmm. different opinions that are valid opinions too mm -hmm. but you can only do things sometimes one or two ways yeah. so you just you have to make that decision mm -hmm. i felt that way for a long time mm -hmm. i've always felt that i never i never mind being in a parade as long as i can lead it right 
It's okay. it's interesting though. It's been it's it been interesting. I really I told my told my wife and my kids this the other day. I mean, hopefully it doesn't happen, but I mean, if I were to die suddenly, in the, in the, in the near future, I don't really feel like I've missed out on anything. I think I, I mean, I'm 49, right? And I've I really haven't missed anything. So I think when people get worried about dying, I think in my opinion, they're more worried about what they haven't done or what they haven't that what, how they haven't challenged themselves. I don't feel like I've I've got that. And not that I want to die. There's still plenty of stuff I that I want to do. I just know what you're saying. But if I look at the 49 years that I've lived and the stuff that I've wanted to do, there's really not much that I haven't tried. And it's been it's been great. Um, it's been great, and I, I and I've been, and I've enjoyed all of it. I mean, I've got I've got three great kids. Um, I've got a great family. What age are your kids now? 16, 14, and 12. 16? Uh, 12, 12. She turns 12 next week, but yeah, 16. Mm-hmm. And, and your, son tra- is, your son is... 14. 14. Almost taller than I am. The last time I saw him, you know, he was still little Peter Jeter. I mean, he mm-hmm. was itty-bitty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Not anymore. Yeah. Greg, before I end the podcast, there's a question that I like to ask people. Uh-huh. Knowing what you know now at 49, yeah. if you could go back in time and meet the younger Greg, mm-hmm and give him advice, what time would it be and how would you be and what advice would you give him? Um, that's, that's, it's hard to say. I think about this a lot. It's hard to say because I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want to change anything. The way things have turned out for me, I'm thrilled with. So if I went back and told myself something, I wouldn't want to affect how things have turned out. So I'm, pretty happy with how it's gone. I think if I, if I could do something without affecting how things have gone for me, I think I would probably, that's a good question, it's still, it's still a tough one to answer. I think I would probably put a more genuine effort into everything that I wanted to achieve from an earlier age. I think that's 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 probably the best thing I, I could tell myself. Whether it was school or whether it was friendships, whatever it was. You know, people people want certain things, but they see the end result. And they want the end result. But they're not willing usually to do what it takes to get there. And I think I felt the same way. I was like, well I want that, or I want to be popular, or I want to be able to dunk the basketball on a fast break. Right, I wanted that, but leading up to that, I either didn't know or wasn't willing to do what it took to get there. And I think I'd probably have a stern talking to myself about, about that. You really want that? Yeah, okay. And this is what you need to do. These are the steps you need to take. You need to do it every day or you're not going to get there. Great, thank you. That's one of the best answers I've heard. Is it? Um, yeah. I don't know. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget... It's all alone, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed. Drop the